This is the Man Up Report Podcast with your host, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann. Scott, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to move forward after the Army. This was a conversation I had not that long ago with a very senior uh, enlisted Special Forces officer, and he was really struggling with a whole host of things, Uh, everything from substance abuse to identity to purpose, and a lot of it had to do with leaving a career in special forces. A lot of it had to do with the the, the, the issues and baggage that he had he had developed through just multiple tours of combat and just riding hard. Um, but he and I were having a very very frank conversation about just moving on, moving forward, and having the resilience to do that. And it's something that I see more and more and more as I travel around the country today, not just with our veterans, but with a whole host of people, um, people struggling to stay in the game, right, to, to, to thrive and, and keep battling back when, when life kicks us in the junk, um, and as it often seems to do. And um, that is actually the topic for today's Man Up Report. Hello, everybody. This is Scott Mann, uh, your trusted source of leadership issues that matter to you, especially in the world of impact. Uh, That's what we talk about here on the Man Up podcast. We talk about things that affect impact. Uh, We talk about things that leaders are doing in, in the United States and around the world that are having an impact bigger than themselves. Why? Because all the other leaders with titles are not doing that. Maybe that's a little bit of a generalization, but not much, whether it's, you know, in the senior political world, um, the bureaucratic world, high corporations. It just seems like so many of our leaders who we've institutionally trusted for years are not getting it done. So we focus on leaders who are uh, out there, even leaders without titles, who are getting things done and having big impacts, bigger than themselves, leaving tracks, as my dad Rex Man says, uh, and we give them a voice and a platform right here. And so today is absolutely no exception to that. I'm absolutely thrilled uh, and ecstatic to finally have on a podcast with me a a brother, a dear friend, um, a fellow traveler, and probably the most decent, next to my dad, maybe the most decent man I've ever met. uh, Eric Hogden, he is, um, he's so many things. And, and, you know, when I asked him, I was like, Eric, you know, how do you want me to introduce you? He said, leader without a title, right? And I just, that just speaks volumes to who he is as a man. But the work that Eric has done in resilience, um, in, especially in the, in the realm of moving on through grief and not just surviving, but thriving. The work Eric has done there and that he is doing is immeasurable. It is just off the hook. And so without any further ado, Eric, welcome to the Man Up Report, my friend. Thank you very much, Scott. I'm very grateful to be here with you. Yeah, you know, you are you are such an easy guy to talk about and such an easy guy to introduce. Um, I have a feeling that it's going to be a series of, of, of Man Up Reports that you and I chat to cover the ground that, that we need to cover. But you know, I just want to start with, okay, so you've got, you know, you've got a lot of projects in the works, and we're going to get to those, but, you know, you heard my intro, man. We're all about impact here. We're all about making a difference bigger than yourself and leaving tracks, and um, you definitely yes. do that, and um, your work in the in the realm of resilience is probably the most impactful I've ever seen, the most selfless I've ever seen, and so I, I was wondering if, 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 let's just get right to it. I mean, your work 
in resilience. And, and a lot of our listeners, they've come through some tough times and they're going through some tough times. And mm-hmm. just your voice and your leadership in the realm of resilience is so solid. And I wonder if you could just take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to take up the mantle, uh, the banner of uh, helping people cope uh, with resilience. Cause it's certainly not theory. You've lived it. No, thank you, Scott. Uh, you know, about four years ago, I was stuck in a custody battle for my 15-year-old daughter, Zoe. Uh, she was working her hardest to work through that, but she was struggling, and, and so much so that she was living in a halfway house. But she was able to come home and see us on weekends, which was awesome. Uh, this one particular weekend, though, I picked her up and I brought her back to the house. I had planned for us to go to breakfast the next morning, watch a movie, uh, she, she went upstairs to her room and she was listening to some music and burning some incense, playing her ukulele, you know, doing, doing teen stuff, you know, talking to their friends on Facebook and, and trying on different outfits, usually like teen girls do. And she was applying this really cool henna tattoo on her hand with the sun design on it. Um, I wanted to do something with her that night. So I said, hey, let's, you know, do you want to do something like well, watch a movie or make some kale chips or something like that? She said, yeah, let's make some kale chips. So afterwards, we were cleaning up. She told me she was tired and she wanted to go to bed. And as usual, I said, I love you, pumpkins. And, and she said, I love you too, dad. I uh, was doing some work on my computer and went back up a little while to say goodnight. And when I opened her bedroom door, I could hear Jonathan Frushanti's guitar playing on the stereo. I saw a string of Christmas lights that were lit around her room as the only light in her room, but she wasn't in her bed. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see her standing in her, in her closet. And I, I thought she was going to jump out and scare me. And I said, Zoe, what are you doing? And she didn't answer me, though, because she really wasn't standing in her closet. I called 911. About five days later, over 900 people came to Zoe's wake. 900 people. Her friend Kelly came over to me and she was just sobbing. And, and all I could do was just put my arm around her and say, it's going to be okay, sweetie. Zoe would want you to remember all of those good times that you had together, right? And, and then another friend, Sarah, came up to me, and she was crying too, but she managed to say that, that she was so sorry for my loss and that, you know, Zoe was always smiling, and she was so nice to her. And as a lot of people came up to me to tell me how much Zoe impacted them, inspired them, and gave them hope. And as more people came up, uh, and to share their stories of Zoe and to tell them that they were sorry for my loss, I was sorry for their loss because I knew what we were all going to be missing. You know, her voice, her smile, her energy, and honestly, her philosophy of life to just be. And for me, it took me many, many months before I started to feel somewhat normal. I wasn't eating well, I stopped exercising, and my head was, wasn't in the right place at all. And it took a long time for it to sink in that Zoe would be so pissed off with me if she knew that I was letting all those good memories from her life stop me from living mine. Mm. And it was then that I vowed to fight for myself, my family, and all of her friends so that we could all find our pathway back to better days. Uh, Eric, and, that is, man. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, I cut you off. Keep going, man. No, that's okay. Um, I just as you know, I I started to experience Zoe kind of all around me. Um, you know, maybe it was a song on the radio that she used to sing along to. Uh, maybe it was seeing someone with the same color hair that she had. And maybe it was, uh, you know, seeing somebody wearing a black pair of Chuck T's because that was her favorite shoe. Hmm. Um, in reality, uh, and in Greek, <laughs> the name Zoe means life. And the greatest lesson that my daughter taught me was that we have to raise our frequency to see the beauty in it. And when it knocks you down, you get back up every single time. Wow. Yeah, you know, Eric, I've heard you tell that story a couple of times, man. And, and every time it just, um, you know, it just moves me more each time. And uh, first of all, I mean, I, I'm so sorry for, for, I am sorry for your loss and um, for Thank everything you. that you've, that you and your family have been through, you know, it's just, um, but, but, but at the same time, I, I mean, I almost I have to transition immediately to the fact that, I mean, almost right away, uh, you you found a way to serve, you know, and, and like mm. you said, I mean, it was it was when you realized that, you know, Zoe would be pissed at you for for feeling the way that you have. But but I've worked yeah. so closely with you in all kinds of leadership retreats and leadership exercises with Bo Eason, and, and I always see you. Mm. You're always out there looking out for other people, and I just wonder mm. where did you find the strength. The resilience, right, to do that. I mean, because you definitely practice what you preach. Where do you find it on a daily basis, and 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 how do you leverage that to be so uh, just of use to everyone around you? No, that's a great question, Scott. Uh, you know, I think initially, you're, while you're working through grief, you're you're trying to find your way through the fog, and you need those beacons of light to kind of help you guide you through those that chasm of unknowns. And what I saw mostly was uh, Zoe's friends and my family, my stepdaughter, um, that were, they were struggling, trying to, looking at me like, what do we do now? I right. mean, this is, what do we do now? This is nuts. Zoe was just here. She was healthy. What's going on? And I just realized that, well, they, we all need to have some sort of guidance out of this. And we, I know that there are better days ahead. You know, I, I it was interesting. I was in a, uh, a therapy session uh, and I had thought about what it was going to be like to be stuck and, and maybe in a bad, you know, maybe a, uh, not a bad place, but just a tough place. And, and you know, if you've ever been in a uh, depression or felt really uh, bad uh, or down, it, it um, it's like a pit, right? It's a comfortable pit. And but this time when I looked down, that pit was the size of an ant hole and I couldn't fit into it. So I'm not going down in it. Mm. Yeah. So I decided to keep myself up above ground. And you do. I mean, you, I have seen you help so many people, man. I mean, like you're like a vapor trail. If you see someone's hurting or if someone's going through it, you're on them like that. And, and, and you know, I know that some of the people who are listening to this uh, podcast – are in a bad place. They've gone through mm -hmm. loss. They've gone through grief. They've gone through, or they're still going through right. those things. And, you know, what is your message, Eric, to, to people who are, 
you know, who are in that place right now where there doesn't seem like a way out of it, where we're just, it just like you said, I mean, one minute they're here. I mean, we just, you know, Monty just lost her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's just a couple of days from now that it'll be a year. Wow. And, you know, it just still seems like he's here. I mean, it still right. seems like Ben is here. And then sometimes, you know, it's it, you get so pissed off because he's gone. And, and so, you know, and I know Monty and her mom are going through that so deeply. Mm-hmm. So what do you right. say to them in those moments when it just seems like the grief is so heavy? Mm. Now, that's a, another great question because it's, it, I, I hear that a lot. You know, what do I do now? Where do I go? And my philosophy, or at least it has, that what my philosophy has been for the last couple of years is that, um, you know, death can take your loved one's life, but it doesn't have to take yours. Mm. Yeah. So fighting for, you know, your better days, it's not going to come at you. No, nobody's coming for, to save you in that regard. You have to kind of work to at least know that that light is there. Those better days are there. But everybody has the capacity to be resilient. Everybody has the capacity to come back. And I think with the right support and the right guidance and the right direction uh, and and doing the things that you love to do, finding the beauty in your day, whatever, even if it's one thing, finding gratitude in your life is is just an amazing aspect of just changing your whole outlook on 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 the the incident of, of losing somebody, uh, making peace with what happened. I remember uh, for a while when I was I was kind of angry and upset, and uh, I think until I made peace with what was, I couldn't become grateful for what is. Mm, yeah, and, you know. Wow, that's that's really good. Um, so there's three things that you're doing that you've done that I want to bring out uh, that I think are so compelling and so noteworthy because you're all about you're all about moving forward. You're all about mm. resilience and 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 like you said, not having your life taken as well and and finding you know the light wherever you can find it. And three things that you've done that really stick out to me that I'm I'm just so impressed with. Uh, one. Uh, is your story two is option B and three is this book that you're working on that, that I'm mm. so excited about. So the first thing I want to talk about is the work that you've done. You and I have have done a lot of work together. We've done a lot of work with Bo Eason, you know, mm-hmm. and and you're you're a storyteller. You know, you and I both are. We both mm. love storytelling. Yes. And you, you know, more than anyone I know, uh, you, you leveraged story to heal, Eric. And you know, mm. Dr. Joan mm. Rosenberg, uh, who you know well. Yes. Uh, mental health professional out in LA. She says that stories heal the brain. Mm-hmm. And I go on to say, I think they heal the, heal the soul. I'd like to know your thoughts on mm-hmm. how story has served you in, um, you know, m- making peace with Zoe's passing and moving on with your life, with your message. Oh, that's, uh, you know, just thinking about that question, just it made me smile because. You know, whenever I think about telling stories of Zoe, it it warms my heart. It doesn't make me sad. You know, I think initially, again, when you're going through grief after you lose somebody or uh, you're struggling, you know, with your, uh, you know, with somebody else that might be, you know, that might have lost somebody, it's, you want to help. And, and I found that story has been that connective tissue right. uh, between myself and other people. It's, if you can, if you can tell a small story in the service of somebody else, it, it changes, it can change their life. 
Right. And and just one simple example, uh, we work with another gentleman, David Coggin, and mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about story work a few weeks ago, and uh, David is also working through the loss of his wife. And right. I, I commend that man for his strength through this process. It's not easy because everybody has a different journey to take when they That's lose right. somebody. Uh, but he's he's fighting every single day to just put one foot in front of the other. And sometimes that's all you can do. And he's trying to write his story about that. And, and he's, he's finding himself, I think, connecting with other stories related to his, his wife. And the more stories that you can kind of, uh, you know, not create, but that, that you can recall and write and, and tell, it really becomes a powerful connective tool in so many ways. That's, it's so true, man. It's so true. And, you know, I've done a lot of story work for my own trauma, my own grief, uh, mm-hmm. uh, survivors, guilt, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's, you know, not to the, not to the level of loss that you've had, but it has certainly, uh, have found it to be very healing. And, and I believe mm-hmm. whether you're, you know, whether you're a veteran or a civilian, if you've had loss or grief in your life, story is a very, very powerful tool. And, and, and mm-hmm. the power of narrative, uh, logging those stories down, writing them, telling them. And, you know, Eric, the thing is, man, we all pass from this world, don't we? I mean, we all, yes. we're all on borrowed time. And yes. we're all going to pass. And isn't it isn't it true that the what what connects you to this world after you're gone, to the tracks that you've left behind, Mm-hmm. as my dad says, are the stories yes. that people tell about you. In fact, my friend David Martin uh, gave me a quote. It's not his quote, but he, he was kind enough to share it with me. He said, you know, uh, and I'll paraphrase it a bit, but we, we die two deaths. We die the first death when we, when we, tell, when we, t- when we uh, take our last breath, mm-hmm. and we die the second death when someone tells our story for the last time. And I just, I think that's such mm-hmm. a powerful comment. Wow, very powerful. That's very powerful. It's, it's just an amazing it's an amazing way to honor somebody as well. Yeah. And yep. that's something that I think that more people want to do, but maybe not. Maybe they don't understand how to tell their story, how to create, practice, and tell their story so that it, it can be not only healing for themselves, but also healing for other people as well. Okay, Eric. Hey, listen, we're going to leave it right there because I believe um, this is such a compelling, compelling topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to, um, I'd, I'd like to, to, to end it right here and then we're going to come back and we're going to pick back up, uh, with the second half of this interview. And I want to continue to ask some more questions. I want to look deeper at some of the work that you've done, um, to, to, to address resilience and, 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 and really put it into action so that people can get started immediately on that path toward finding the light in their lives. Uh, can we okay. get you to join us again? Absolutely. All right, great. I fell asleep around Macon, running 80 on Highway 75. 18 years old, yeah, thinking I was good to go. It was a stone cold miracle, how I survived. Took out three Georgia pine trees, turned that car to a pile of scrap. I walked away. Without a scratch Well that should have been a self-correcting mistake Kind of thing that leaves you wide awake All it did was feed my bulletproof 
so many times that I cheated death When people I love died for less Whole lot of second chances that I blew You ask me how I got here You how I found this place The devil tried hard but my fate cut the cards It was God's grace Fast forward to an angry young man Fighting in the hills of Afghanistan Living for the moment on a one-way track I learned my trade and I learned it good But I learned the value of brotherhood Still cuts me like a knife The ones that didn't make it back But I can see their faces when I close my eyes Brother, you can bet as long as I'm alive They'll live on like a solid gold country song So many times that I cheated death But people I love died for less Sometimes it don't seem right that I live on You ask me how I got here And how I found this place The devil tried hard but my fate cut the cards It was God's grace Never been one to look back The one thing stopped me in my tracks Was when they laid that baby girl in my arms With all the demons I'd protected And the skeletons I'd collected Started turning loose with a cold grip on my heart I guess I found a little clarity For once in my life I could finally see it ain't my job to understand And all of the times that I cheated death When people I love died for less but Only God knows a plan Only God knows a plan Ooh, yeah You ask me how I got here how I found this place Devil tried hard But when fate cut the cards It was God's grace